that step of obedience. And if you're interested in getting baptized, as Rick said, um, we'll be more than able to answer your questions and to uh, point you in the direction you need to go. Um, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we've been in a, narr in a narrative portion of Daniel as we're seeking to be people who stand firm in a godless culture. How many of us know that we live in a godless culture? Godless culture. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 3, our children are dismissed for uh, children's ministry. Um, praise the Lord for our wonderful babies, wonderful children. And as we're preparing to hear from the Lord, I do want to just highlight um, that God is at work in our church, as you can see through um, this time of worship. Um, our life groups kicked off, especially the life group that meets here on Wednesdays at 6. So if you're not in the life group, we kicked off here this, uh, this past Wednesday at 6 p.m. right here in this room as we're seeking to uh, go through Daniel as well as a study for that. And that was just a great time. So if you're interested in being a part of that, please, please come on Wednesday at 6 p.m. I do want to just uh, say also that uh, next Sunday starts our week of prayer, starts our week of prayer. How many of us know that we desperately need to seek God? Amen. Amen. Let's try that again. That was about 10 of y'all. How many of us know that we desperately need to seek God? Amen. Praise the Lord. So there'll be some more information about that. But I do want to say uh, there's a night of worship at the end of that week, which is Friday, February 2nd at the Troy campus. And again, if you're interested in needing a ride, um, you can see uh, our brother Ethan at the back uh, table um, after service. Praise God for the sanctity of life. Let me say it again. Praise God for the sanctity of life. If there's anything that's true, the Bible is pro-life all the way from the womb to the tomb. From the womb to the tomb. And we celebrate the fact that God creates life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Uh, that's biblical. Remember, we're not trying to be PC. We're being biblical. Amen. All right, I feel like preaching this morning. Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. Father, we love you. We bless you today. Thank you for our brother Rick who took this step of obedience to declare that he is not ashamed. And the picture of, of dying, going into the water and, be, and, and coming out of water is a, is a vivid picture of being raised to newness of life. That you died and you were buried and you rose again on the third day. Thank you for his step of obedience. But Lord, I know that in this room, even now, somebody needs to hear a word from heaven. There's nothing I can say that can change anybody's life. I can't even change my own life. But your word changes lives. And so, Father, I pray that as we sit under its authority, we pray that your voice would be strong in this powerful yet familiar story in Daniel chapter 3. Get into our space today, O oh Lord. Confront us. Convict us. So that when we leave here today, that we will leave here looking more like Jesus than when we came in. And if it be your will, O oh God, that you would save a soul, save souls today, that person who may not know you. They can turn and ask, what must I do to be saved? Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your presence that's here. 
We love you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, I absolutely love courageous stories. I love courageous stories. In fact, most of our movies that we go to, it's about somebody overcoming the odds, a challenge, an, an issue. I love our military. I have a nephew that's in the military, so I give God honor and praise for our military. I love, I love hearing stories of the various missions of our military, even though as sad and intense it could be at times, I love hearing about how they were able to overcome certain odds and certain things that have risen against them. It, it challenges me. It convicts me. It, it gets in my face, really, to not play it safe with my life. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to live a life uh, that displays it safe. I want to lay it all out for the cause of Christ. What, what about you this morning? What, what inspires you? Who inspires you? If there's anything that's true in Scripture, it's this. God will make sure that all of his people will be placed in circumstances and situations where we have to demonstrate courage. I've never met a courageous person sitting on their lazy boy. Uh, courage, as one person would say, is fear redirected. That is, when I fear God more than what's in front of me, I'll always come out courageous. And God will make sure, you can try to play it safe all you want to, but God will always make sure that he orchestrates and places us in circumstances and in situations where we have to demonstrate courage. Will we stand or will we fold? Will we stand or will we cower? And it's no wonder why in our society, one of the most vivid signs of people running in fear is the epidemic of our men today. Hello, lights. How are you doing? You think about our men and our culture. It's no wonder why most churches in America, most of the women do everything in the church. Praise God for you, sisters. I see you. But brothers, where are you? Abandoning their posts, abandoning their families, abandoning their, their parental responsibilities, abandoning where they should rightly be, but at home in their Star Wars jammies playing video games all day. God is calling us, men and sisters, to be courageous, to lean in, to not walk away from responsibility. We can sing all the songs we want to, but it means categorically nothing if I'm not standing for God from Monday to Saturday. So don't waste God's time and play church. God is looking for us to stand firm. In Daniel chapter 2, we learn that God is great. Remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had a dream, and Daniel stood strong and told him, hey, man, your kingdom is on a time clock. You're about to be replaced by some other kingdoms, but there's one kingdom that lasts forever. It is the kingdom of God. So praise be unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that rock who takes down all of the kingdoms, and he dominates the landscape. How about that one? How about that one? And I read the end of the book, and at the end of the book says we win. For the believer, we win. So why don't we get off the losing teams of the world and the culture and join the team of Jesus Christ? Because with him, we win. We win. 
So now we come to a very familiar passage of scripture, a very familiar story in Daniel chapter 3. It's a story that I learned as a little boy. It is a story that, 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 that when you read it slowly, that when you ponder its implications, it speaks volumes about the issue of being courageous and overcoming the odds in our society. In fact, in your notes, here's the main point. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Here's the big idea that we will walk through this morning, and that is this. Courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship. Courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship. And so the question we're going to seek to answer this morning is this. How do we live? How do we live with courageous faith in a hostile culture? How do we overcome the odds in a hostile culture? How do we live victoriously in a hostile culture? You ask great questions at 11, 18 a.m. on a Sunday morning. The answer to that question you see in your notes is given to us in three suggestions, three points, and we'll walk through this. Number one, first first of all, we need to reject cultural idolatry. We need to reject cultural idolatry. Just like Daniel chapter 1 and just like Daniel chapter 2, the story throws us into the whirlwind. King Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image, a statue, get this, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. He sets up this golden image, this this statue, and he puts it on the plain of Dora, which is a unifying center. It is a plain where you got this 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide statue. It's going to be seen by everyone, especially when you put it on a plain. Now, we don't know if this statue is of Nebuchadnezzar or of somebody else, But let me just give you my particular view, and I hold this with an open hand. I believe that this particular statue is Nebuchadnezzar. Why do I say that? If you remember in his dream in Daniel chapter 2, remember Daniel said that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. The head of gold is him and the kingdom of Babylon. But here we see that he constructs this image in its totality being made in gold as if to communicate my kingdom is the only kingdom that matters my kingship is the only kingship that matters I'm it look at me I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread I'm too sexy for my shirt I'm the only king and this is the only kingdom That matters. Forget what Daniel said. Look at me. Look at us. Look at this image. Can I give you a free piece of mail, please? Can I can I say this? Pride, pride isn't satisfied with just one area. Pride is all about a person, the person's self. It is a worship of self. It demands loyalty. It demands worship. Listen to me. Run away from people who demand loyalty. I know pastors. I know people that demand loyalty. And anytime you demand loyalty, you're really communicating that you're the one that needs to be worshipped. But let me go on this out there and say this. And you're also saying that you're very insecure. Nebuchadnezzar is a very insecure man. Demanding allegiance and worship. He's going to know real quick on how great God is. And so here this image is set up. 
90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And Nebuchadnezzar is calling all his officials and he's bringing them together. And these officials represent the authority of the land. And these officials will be able to disperse this announcement to every person that lives in this area. And the dedication of this particular image, the announcement goes out. Hey, everyone, glad you're here. I know you see this tall 90 feet image, 9 feet wide image. Now, it's on the plane, and you see this. We're introducing a new creed, a new challenge, a new message, that at the sound of the music, you are to fall down before this image, and you are to worship it. You are to fall down, and you are to worship this image that I have set up. And anyone that refuses or doesn't comply will be thrown into the fiery furnace and will be killed. So the music is played. And everybody and their mother bows down and worships this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up. Everyone bows down. So it seems. So it seems. Uh, Not long after this worship time, some of the Chaldeans, some of the workers, some of the leaders uh, went to Nebuchadnezzar and and said, Ah, King, uh, we got a problem. Didn't you not say that the sound of the music, we are to bow down and worship the image that you have set up? Didn't you not say this? Well, there are certain Jews, certain Jews, which implies that there are other Jews that bow down, but that's a whole other summer for a whole other day. But there's certain Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in positions of leadership. They don't care about you. They don't, they don't care about your gods. They don't even worship your gods. They're not loyal to you. Here's why, because when the music was being played, we all bowed down, but we noticed Mm, those three brothers stood. We got a problem. We got a problem. Talk about an awkward moment. Let me stop here and by way of application, throw these three thoughts out to us this morning. Number one, the world demands worship. I grew up in a church, in a Berean Bible Baptist church, my home church there in Atlanta, Georgia. Some of y'all remember this. It was the call and response time during service. Well, the worship leader would open up the hymnals. What are those nowadays, right? Go to the back, and there was, certain, there was a certain page or whatever, and, you, and they would read something, and, and, the, and the audience, the congregation would read the bold letters, and it, it was a call and response, a call and response. It was a beautiful thing. How many of us know that the world has a call and response? The world has its agendas that it's imposing on us. And it seems like every day we live, new laws about this, new things about this. And these agendas are being pushed on us. And for those of us who name the name of Jesus, every day we live, we have to live with a sense of courage and urgency and the thought of, man, I'm I'm being called to bow down to these various agendas. So what are we going to do? So we understand that the world demands Worship. But another thought here is that there will be people that will not like you. Let me just say that again. There will be folk that will not like you. 
When I, when I graduated from Bible college, one of my mentors told me this. I said, I'll never forget this. He said, son, in ministry, you got to have three things. you got to have the mind of a scholar. That means be a student of the word of God. You need to have a heart like a child. That means you need to be teachable and receive the lessons that God is teaching you. But number three, you need to have a butt like a rhinoceros. Because there will be people that will kick you in your rear end. Listen to me. There will be people that don't like you. There will be people that will be jealous of you. There will be people that will be envious of you. Some of them will be church folk. Hello, somebody. Some will be the very folk that you're doing life with that will be the main ones dogging you out. If you ain't been there, as my grandmama used to say, just keep on living. Just just keep on living. Because trust me, it's going to happen. Listen, listen, don't be swayed by that. And the fact that people are coming against you because of your commitment to Jesus, that actually tells you you're in the right place. In fact, I heard somebody say, you know you're, you know you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at. And if you're not experiencing any fiery arrows of the wicked one, ah, chances are you ain't standing for Jesus. So there will be people that flat out won't like you. Exhibit A, these brothers, these Chaldeans who do not like these three Hebrew boys. But the third thought here is this, we must stand. We must stand. I find it interesting that when the music was played, the, the, simply the stance of these three Hebrew men preached louder than any words anyone has spoken. They didn't even say a word at this juncture. Their stance was louder. What's the principle? Our character and our faith must be louder than the platforms we stand on. Did you hear what I just said? Our character and our faith must be greater than the platforms we stand on. Because who we are will always tell the truth. Who we really are, not before people, but who we really are in the secret place. That's the real us. That's the real us. Not what we perform before people. And these men, they decided, no, God's word says don't worship idols. So therefore, we're standing and our stance is louder than anything else. Grandmama used to say, baby, good meat makes its own gravy. Let your character preach. Your character will preach a far greater sermon than any words you can actually conjure up with your mouth. So these men in the midst of Babylon, the heat is turned up and they willingly rejected cultural idolatry. No, I'm not bowing down to that. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. How do we... How do we navigate this? How do we do this? How do we stand in hostile culture? Well, we, first of all, we reject cultural idolatry. Secondly, we refuse to compromise. We refuse to compromise because Nebuchadnezzar, now he gets the news. You know, these guys maliciously come to him because they can't stand the, the Jews. These three men, Shavit, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they, 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 they go to king and he's ticked off. And so really, you can tell he actually cares about them because he actually gives them another opportunity. He brings the guys in and says, hey, guys, okay, come on now. Come on now. Come on now, brothers. All right, all right, all right, all right. Is this, is this true? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow you one more time to hear the music. Now, as I play this music, as the music goes forth, you are to fall down and you are to worship 
this image that I have set up. I'm giving you another chance. I'm giving you another chance. But then he decides to make a bold statement. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 15, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Oh, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? What Nebuchadnezzar doesn't realize is he just waged war with God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. When you mess with God's people, you mess with God. A threat to God's people is a threat to God. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your child is not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You do realize that even right now there's a spiritual warfare going on. There's an invisible war right now. And it's the grace of God that's pushing back the forces of darkness to allow you to hear the biblical truth that's coming from his word even now. Even now. So don't live under a rock. Open up your eyes. And Nebuchadnezzar, he wages war. How dare he say, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my You see how, how proud will make us foolish and stupid? So what is to be done? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. God, I feel like preaching. Ooh, I'm Mr. Running Man this morning. Oh, hello, somebody. Golly. Who is the God? Ah, the stage is set. The threat has been stated. Notice what happens in verse 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Talk about a mic drop. Talk about a mic drop. Let me slow my roll and walk through this. You know what they said in three three simple statements. Number one, they said our minds are made up. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, it's not a matter of praying about it or fasting about it. This, By the way, church, there's some things you don't need to pray about. And this is one of them. God has my heart. The conviction of who God is, is deep down in my soul. Jeremiah would say, it's like fire shut up in my bones. Our minds are made up. We serve the Lord. This ain't a matter of will we pray about it or we consider. This is it. This is it. So our minds are made up. But the second thing they say is, is that our God is able. Our God is able. Remember I told you a few weeks ago that the whole theme really of Daniel was the sovereignty of God. That God is in complete control. We see things from our perspective and we can get really frustrated if we lean on that. But God sees the whole picture. And what they say is that God is able. God is able. Let me, let me, let me just say this. Um, run away from these bootleg, lazy, shallow preachers that preaches this theology of bargaining with God. As if you can use scripture to manipulate God. What we see here in this text is very clear that God is able to deliver us from this, but even if he does not, listen church, we have to be okay 
with the even if he does not theology. God is good all the time. That is, if he said yes to your prayer request or if he said no, he's still good. If you pray for God to save your a family member or, or someone and, and they, they passed on, that doesn't detract one iota from who God is. And by the way, for the believer who has entered into the presence of God, they don't want to come back to this dump anyways. Don't pray me to come back when I'm already in his presence. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, what these Hebrew men understand, what they teach us, is that we don't need to bargain with God. We simply need to believe God. Our God is able, even if he does not deliver us from this furnace, He's still able. Didn't Paul say, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain? That's what this is. Hey, you kill me, I'm going to be with him. You put me through persecution, I'm still going to live for him. And for the Christian, we are in a win-win situation. Our minds are made up. Our God is able. And number three, they say our life is in his hands anyway. Translation, King, we don't fear you. I know you put fear in everybody else. We ain't scared of you. We ain't scared. Bad grammar, but that's good theology. We only fear God. And oh, I'm reminded what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, speaking of the Lord, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm also reminded of Isaiah 12, verse 2, which says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. I love what one scholar said this week as I was studying this. He says that the devil tempts us to destroy our faith, but God tests us to develop our faith. Because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. False faith withers in times of trial. But true faith takes deeper root, grows, and brings glory to God. Are you being tested today? Are you being tested today? Are you being tempted to compromise? Partial obedience is disobedience. Obedience. Whatever you're facing today that's rising up against you, I encourage you, my sister. I encourage you, my brother. Refuse to compromise. God has you. Even if you're by yourself and everybody else is going, whichever way the wind blows, you stand flat footed on what God has said. And God can do more in your stance in a flash than what you can do for yourself in a lifetime. Refuse to compromise. Reject cultural idolatry. But oh, thirdly, how do we live with courageous faith and hostile culture? Number three, trust in God's deliverance. Trust in God's deliverance. Nebuchadnezzar just got punched in the face. With these bold, declaring words. By the way, to be bold doesn't mean being a jerk. You can be courageous, but as gentle as a dove. 
And these, these men didn't yell at him. They said, Look, this, this, no, this is, we ain't, we're not doing that. So he's ticked off. The Bible said that his face was changed. It kind of reminded me of my mother. Mothers, you have a special anointing to inflict fear in your kids with just a look. I remember one time I was sitting in a back row acting a fool in church. My mama is in the choir stand. Remember, remember choir stands? Remember that one? She's in the soprano section of choir stand, and all she did was lock eyes with me, and I knew my life was over. Her face changed, and I knew this is it. Like Seth and the son, oh, Elizabeth, I'm coming to you, honey. Oh, Lord, my life is over. Mothers, you got that look. And when my mama gets mad, that bottom lip just come out like this. And she just point, and all of a sudden, the tears begin to flow. Well, Nebuchadnezzar times 10, he is ticked. Oh, you're not going to do this? All right, all right, this is what we're going to do. He orders for the furnace to be turned up seven times hotter than what it normally is. As if to communicate, brothers, I don't want to slow cook you. I want to annihilate you. So much so of the urgency of this, he not only has the furnace turned up seven times hotter, he also has some soldiers come and bind these guys while they're still in their clothes. Their tunics, everything is still on. They bind them up and they throw them in the fire. But the narrator wants us to see something. The narrator wants us to see how hot the fire really was because the soldiers that threw these three Hebrew men into the fire, those soldiers ended up being burnt and killed by the furnace while these three Hebrew men fell bound in the midst of the fire. So there you have it. This is like an intense scene in a movie where now you are no longer leaning back. You're leaning forward. Your palms are sweating. You really want to see the outcome of what's about to happen because I've seen these three dudes stand before this guy, this king. They're thrown bound into a furnace. What's going to happen with these men? What is going to happen with these men? And all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar gets up out of his chair. And he poses a question, um, huh, um, uh, did we, did we put three, did we just put three in there? Did, 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 did we put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did we just put three in the furnace? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it was three. It was three. We was clear that. We, we busted them out. We brought them before you. They disrespected you, king. We bound them up. Oh, yeah, it's showing up. It's three. But notice what King Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 25. He said, well, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Uh, let me work on this. Let me work on this. Whole Holy Ghost, help me, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. I, I, I see four. Four men loosed and walking about 
in the midst of the fire. And the fourth is like a son, singular, of the gods. Uh, what you see here is what theologians will call a theophany. Theos, Godphony, manifest. God manifesting himself in the likeness of, of a human form. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, whenever you see a theophany, it is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And here these men, they stood firm, and there they are thrown bound into the fire. But when Jesus shows up, there's freedom and fellowship. When Jesus shows up, there's liberty and freedom. Now, here's the truth for all of us. God is able to deliver us from the fires of adversity. But most of the time and oftentimes, he delivers us through the fires of adversity. And I declare to you today that if you're going through the fires of adversity, wherever Jesus is, you can walk loose and free in his presence. I wonder, is there anybody here today that can testify that there's freedom and fellowship in Jesus? I wonder, is there anybody here today that is experiencing the freedom and fellowship of Jesus while your marriage is going through hell? Can anybody testify to the freedom and fellowship of Jesus while your money is funny and your change is strange? Can anybody testify to the freedom that Jesus gives while you're going through that rough season at school, while you're going through that health crisis? Can anybody testify that there's freedom and fellowship in Jesus while you're going through? Here's how I know. Here's how I know there's freedom and fellowship. You ever been going through something where everybody said you ought to give up, but all of a sudden you got this peace that fills your heart? Am I the only one? Hello, lights. I see you. Am I the only one that is going through something in life and all of a sudden there's a song in your spirit unto the Lord? The way I know there's freedom and fellowship, he gives you a joy that's unspeakable. He gives you a peace that's unspeakable. He gives you mercy that's unspeakable. He gives you grace that's unspeakable. The world can't give you that. But oh, I dare you to yoke up with Jesus. There's freedom and fellowship. These men went inbound, but when Jesus showed up, there's freedom and fellowship. Not in the cool, flowery, cool of the day, but no right smack dab in the midst of an adverse situation. Jesus gave them freedom. Freedom! Freedom. So many of us here today are walking in the church, if we were to see it with the spiritual eyes. We walk in with chains wrapped around us. It's hard to lift our hands. It's hard to change the way we think because we walk in filled with bondage. But I declare to you, Jesus can break that. He can break that. And your worship will go to a deeper place when you defy the odds and you lean not on your power, but on the power of the Spirit of God. And so this scene was so moving that Nebuchadnezzar had no choice but to walk up to the furnace and tell him to come on out. Oh, man. Come out, guys. These brothers come out. And everybody and their mother's looking at them. Man, there's no hair that's burnt. Man, you don't eat 
you, you ain't even musty. There's no, there's no scent of smoke on you. Your clothes are still on you. Your skin is still pure. Listen to me. What everybody saw was a complete protection of God. They were blown away. And Nebuchadnezzar, he had, he had to declare that God is good. He had to declare and acknowledge, yeah, we threw them in there. And I saw with my own eyes the fourth, like the son of the God. I saw them lose. Everybody sees the deliverance here. So don't you dare speak against their God. Don't you dare speak anything of a God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the point here is this. It pays to trust the Lord. It pays to trust the Lord. Trust in God's deliverance. As the worship team gets ready to come on up, I want to give you three encouraging faith challenges. I mean, I want to encourage you with these challenges. I don't know what fiery furnace you're in. I don't know what you're facing in your life. We don't do recreational preaching here. We understand that God has a word and God has spoken. And we want to make sure you have the tools that you need to be all that God's called you to be. I want to give you these three faith challenges. Very simple. The first thing is this. And somebody needs to preach this to themselves. God will keep you. Somebody needs to hear that. God will keep you. You thought you weren't going to make it last year. And what the devil wants you to see is what you couldn't do. But God says, now look what I can do. And you are here right now, hearing this word, God will keep you, and thou shalt keep me in perfect peace when my mind is stayed on him, that I have to preach that sermon to myself when I have selective amnesia, because we all tend to forget. So my, my encouragement to us, preach this word to yourself. If you got to sing with tears streaming down your face, God will keep me. That's the first thing. The second encouraging challenge is this. God will be present. God will be present. Wherever God is, change takes place. If God doesn't show up in this church, we're no different than the Catholic church down the street. The difference for the believer is not our good works. It is the presence of Almighty God. It is the presence of God that changes everything, that changes the heart, that heals the broken marriage, that breaks the stronghold. God's presence is everything at Woodside Pontiac. So God will be present, and you need to preach that too. God will keep me, and God is with me. Thirdly and finally, God will impact. God will impact. Translation, God always gets the last word. Don't let folk put periods over your life. God's the only one that has that authority. 
God is, God is the only one that has that authority. He gets the last word. And whatever God does in your life, please understand, he's going to make a statement to you and everybody else around you of who he is. So God will keep me. God will be with me. And God will impact. Courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship. In church, we have to embrace our responsibility, reject cultural idolatry, refuse to compromise, and trust in God's deliverance. Trust in God's deliverance. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what God is saying to you. As we get ready to sing a song and respond to the Lord and and pray over one of our brothers here. I don't want to rush this moment. Somebody might be thinking, well, why we always got to do this? Well, it's important, number one, for everybody to have the opportunity to respond, first of all, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no standing. There is no victory unless I come to Jesus. Whether it's for the first time for the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or whether it be for the person who is a believer, and like all of us, that has lost some sight. Life has knocked us down. Thank you, Lord. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you. If you need prayer, no pressure. But if, if God is... If God has spoken to you, God has spoken to you on something in this story. If you're facing a furnace of some sort in your life, will you just simply stand? Will you just simply stand? Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. 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 standing declares and I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed to acknowledge I got some challenges, I got issues I'm not perfect God sees you God sees you married couple God sees you man of God God sees you woman of God He sees you Father, thank you for these loved ones. Thank you for these loved ones who were bold enough to say, I, I'm going through something. And the joy of it is, Lord, that you know exactly every detail of every person that has stood. And you know the condition of every human heart in this room. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would give the supernatural grace and strength. Maybe right now things are not changing for the better. In fact, for some of us, things are getting worse. But, Lord, I pray that even right now, that there there will be an unusual sense of freedom and fellowship in Jesus. Yeah, we're waiting on the doctor's doctor's report, but I got a peace in the Lord because my life is in his hands. 
yeah, I got some decisions I need to make. But nevertheless, I still will have joy in the Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you cover my sister, cover my brother that has stood. Lord, I pray right now that you cover this church, that you will help us to lean into you, to press our way into you. I pray that we would have the resolve of these three Hebrew men, that you are our God and we will stand. You will help us in times of need. You will help us in the crucibles of adversity. Your word declares that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You are with us. And I pray that that sense will be made strong in the depths of our souls this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in our midst today. Thank you for your activity. But we all know when it, what it's like to leave the house of the Lord and now we're faced with the realities of decisions and things, Lord, I pray that you'll keep our minds in perfect peace. That no matter what, Lord, even with tears, because your word does say that you even take our tears and collect them in a bottle. That even our tears, even our moans and our depths of our pain, that, that you will keep count of them, oh God. And Lord, I pray that you will make a statement about yourself through these various loved ones that have stood. You're building a testimony in them. You're building strength for the journey. So Lord, we love you. Be with us now as we sing. Be with us now as we respond even, even deeper. And again, if you need prayer, we have some people that will be up front to pray with you. But right now, let's just lean into the Lord and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless you.